Thank you for listening to Let the Right Films In, your podcast of the IMDb 250. It's the Internet Movie Database's top 250 films as determined in some not totally clear way by IMDb's top users, question mark. Anyway, I am your host, Tyler Hannon, and between you and me, I'm not actually with the podcasters. And with me today, carefully making her way down the steps, much like a young BB-8 doing his best, Kayla St. Ange. Hi. Well, Kayla, we are here today to talk about a Star War. As there will soon be a new Star War. Getting that SEO in. We've already lost it. (laughs) Yes, we are here to talk about a Star War. As soon there will be a new Star War. Uh, Well, a, a Star War story, I believe it is being subtitled. I promised in the last episode that if you were kind enough to leave us a review on iTunes, that I would read it on the podcast, and that is what I am doing right now. Uh, Weirdly, we have only five-star reviews on our iTunes, which is, I don't understand why we aren't on top of the world yet. There's only three, but (laughs) they're all five stars. Kayla, do you want to know the dirty little secret? It's less about ratings and reviews than it is downloads and subscriptions. Whatever, I know that. It doesn't matter. Okay, anyway. This review comes from iTunes user Snowmints. It is titled Fantastic Hosts, five stars. But where do you find them? What? Oh, you find them right here on the podcast. I got you. Fantastic Hosts and where to find oh, them, God Kayla. damn it. Okay, anyway. <laughs> the review reads, Two exceptionally affable hosts who make crawling through the taste of the IMDb Top 250 downright tolerable. One of my favorite film-centric podcasts. Thank you, iTunes user Snowmints. This warmed my heart as I also sometimes find the IMDb 250 completely intolerable. Hacksaw Ridge. Exactly. We have to talk about some things we've watched recently. Are those also Star Wars? Stay tuned to find out. Kayla? Uh, no. Oh, well then. Um, I'm just gonna, so I am gonna cheat a little bit because a little bit. we've been rewatching the entire Harry Potter series, so I was gonna pick another thing that I've watched recently, but I'd rather just kind of expand upon Harry Potter and talk about that for a minute. So... The greater Harry Potter extended universe? Yeah, the other, like, multi-billion dollar film franchise. Um, Yeah. So, Tyler got a $25 Amazon gift card from amassing, apparently, like, what was it, three years of rewards from... Five years? From Speedway Gas Station. You see, those those gas station rewards (laughs) cards mostly encourage you to buy concessions and things like that. And I usually don't waste my money on gas station concessions. It just doesn't seem like a good use of funds. So it took me a good five, six years of amassing them to merit a $25 gift card. And anyway, he was kind enough to put the gift card on Ben's Amazon account Mm -hmm. because uh, we have Amazon on our TV and we had purchased like a bazillion rental movies because we got really excited about having access to Amazon Prime on our TV. Anyway, so... We decided to use this to rewatch. I don't remember exactly how we came to this decision, but Fantastic it, Beasts were in the air. Right, that's right. We you talked about it on the podcast. I, it's been so long since that happened. Two weeks, <laughs> yeah. maybe. Shut up. Anyway, uh, so yes, we decided to rewatch the Harry Potter series, and rewatching them from an adult perspective is kind of a trip. 
Uh, I will say that some are definitely better than others. I know that it's really, like, cool and trendy to hate on the first two for some reason, but I really like the first two Harry Potter movies. I, uh, I've talked about each of them separately on my Letterboxd account, but I think that the first two movies do a really good job of capturing the humor of the books in a way that none of the other installments really do. Because I think after having only seen the movies for a long time, I reread the books, or at least the first couple of books, like two summers ago when I was driving back and forth to my internship. And I I think what surprised me the most was like how funny all of the books were. Like it was something that kind of gets excised from the movies a little bit, especially with like Ron's character or whatever. So I think the first two movies are good. But I also think that they suffer a little bit from Chris Columbus's reputation as, like, kind of hammy family filmmaker. And so I think that maybe that is where the divide is, where people don't really like them. But I think that they're really good. They're faithful to the books. They have a lot of nostalgia value for me, as Harry Potter was a huge part of my childhood. And, like, not to be, like, a bragger or anything, but I read it before it was popular when I was in second grade. (laughs) And then it got really popular. So... Sure, buddy. On sure. Try no. Actually, this is. Uh, I was in Seattle visiting my great uncle and his wife, and it was before. This is like back in the times when things didn't come out at the same time across the country. I guess because the book like hadn't. According to my mom, the book hadn't come out in the Midwest yet. And they were like, you have to read this book. It's crazy awesome. And it's perfect for the whole family. So we read it. And then like the next summer, the second book came out and the rest was history. I will say it's not totally fair to Christopher Columbus that it went straight from him to Alfonso Cuaron. You know, it's funny because the the Prisoner of Azkaban is probably like, it's not my favorite adaptation. I think they kind of do a lot of things that I would not choose to do were I adapting a Harry Potter book like the shrunken head thing (laughs) and the incredibly still okay so there are a lot of things that I appreciate about the prisoner of Azkaban now that I'm more of like you know a developed like film connoisseur (laughs) absolutely (laughs) as opposed to when I was like oh god what year did that come out when I was very young and seeing it for the first time. But uh, I really, the one thing I can't get over and I'm never going to let go is the freeze frame ending shot of Harry's like blurred face. Like, what is that? <laughs> Why did that happen? I, I just, there are so many better ways to end that movie. Okay, shoot or shoot and Alfonso Cuaron, he, uh, he Cuarons. It's a visual taste. Maker. I guess. I will say that I think it's, for the best that he was the director that got to introduce us to the Dementors because I really don't think that any of the other directors could have done a good job with that, especially considering, you know, okay. Shots to David Yates or at David Yates. David Yates. I have a lot to say about him, but first I want to talk about Mike fucking Newell and Uh. the trash pile that is Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire because holy shit, it is so bad. It's so bad. Like I have not rewatched this I, in a long like time. Like I already myself. knew. Like it, Goblet of Fire is my favorite book of the entire series. It's the one where stuff goes down. So I really cannot tell you how eternally disappointing to me it is that it is absolutely the worst one of the series in the movies. Like I just one they cut the Quidditch World Cup. I'm never getting over it. I waited my entire childhood to see it, and they fucking cut it, and they left in all this other dumb shit that doesn't matter, or just like. I don't know, we we had uh, like 20 minutes to spend on Dragon running around, but we didn't have time for the Quidditch World Cup. Like, all right, that's fine. My other big bone to pick with this movie is that Hermione's character is a complete neurotic mess. I get that Hermione has a certain like anxiety about her because that's the kind of person she is. However, Hermione isn't stupid and she like literally all she does is in Goblet of Fire is show up to make random like like I, yeah. in, in my letter Rex review, I was like, she shows up to make hysterical female emotion noises every once in a while. She's there and she's just like, she's like running around screaming and freaking out, which Hermione would never do. There's the really awkward, weird thing where like Harry and Ron make up and she's like, oh, boys. And then the scene just cuts 
And it's just, I, I don't know. I just, whoever wrote the script clearly just did not understand anything about Hermione. I, I don't know. It was just, it was really upsetting the entire time. And the last thing I'm going to say about that is that the whole, Harry, did you put your name in the Goblet of Fire? Like, still makes me so mad. Bless you. <laughs> I know. In the book, it says, Dumbledore asked calmly, Harry, did you put your name in the Goblet of Fire? In keeping with Dumbledore's restrained character. In the movie, he literally, like, fucking chokeholds him and slams him against the wall. And he's like, Harry! <laughs> just like... Uh, the most telling trivia for that is that Michael Gambone said he didn't think it was necessary to read the books to understand his character. And goddamn, dude, you really messed that up, didn't you? Maybe, maybe just like one book, <laughs> just like a, like a, the cliff notes. They make cliff notes of Harry Potter, I'm sure. They make cliff notes of everything. Yeah. Anyway, we've only gotten through, we finished up Order of the Phoenix the other night and it's definitely better, but like... David Yates is just, why did he get to do all of the last four movies? Like, He's a nice guy. I think what makes the series as a whole interesting, despite its flaws, is that it has a lot of different takes and approaches. And the last half of the series definitely suffers from being really homogenized. And because David Yates is like, his artiste thing that he does is, choose a color palette and work with that in the film. However, the color palettes he chose for every single film was remove all color, make everyone sad. <laughs> so he really influenced Zack Snyder's future work. I, yeah, I guess. But yeah, my biggest gripe with him is that he, he relies too much on the assumption that everyone has read the books, I think. Because, one, 90% of Order of the Phoenix is... Wait, he directed Fantastic Beasts too? Yeah, and that's why it's oh not God, very good. He's directing all of them? Is he? He's that, apparently. Whatever, he okay. found his meal ticket, I guess. But, like... like I want different takes on the Harry Potter universe. I think that's really cool. You know what? It's written, different... by a, it's written by a woman. Let a woman direct a Harry Potter movie. I'm just saying. But Question. Anyway. Does David Yates also do these things in another 2016 movie you watched, The Legend of Tarzan? I didn't watch that. Oh. I I refused to watch it and Ben spent the entire time whining at me from the living room because I refused to watch it. <laughs> See, that that is key research that was very necessary for this <laughs> Harry Potter discussion. Yes. Anyway, so my big issue, Order of the Phoenix is all musical montages and like the rest of the series relies way too much on you filling in the blanks having read the novels. And I think that is a big issue because I have an obsessive encyclopedia-like knowledge of Harry Potter. Therefore, whenever Ben was confused about something that was happening, I could remind him of like what happened in the book and be like, oh, actually, this does make sense, or this isn't an inconsistency because of, like, throwaway trivia detail from the book. However, not everybody has that knowledge, and not everybody is going to remember everything about a book series they read when they were a preteen. I'm a freak of nature, and I do, but, like... You want a, want a cookie? No, no, I'm, <laughs> I'm just saying it's not fair to your audience to assume that they know stuff and therefore to leave those things out of the narrative that you're creating. That's fair. But yeah, so we're finishing up the last uh, three movies soon, probably. I'm excited. I like, despite all of their flaws, it is still really special to watch a Harry Potter movie because literally all you have to do is be like, do, 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 do. And I'm like already crying. <laughs> so like just by all of like the adulthood ragging I'm doing on them. Like, Don't get me wrong. Aside from Goblet of Fire, I'm having a blast watching all of them. But yeah, so that is what I've watched recently. Tyler, what have you watched recently? Well, I've just, I was just waiting that whole time to comment that Mike Newell went on to direct Love in the Time of Cholera and Prince of Persia, The Sands of Time. Mike Newell has done a lot of, like, random stuff because I was, like, the whole time I was, like, who the fuck is this guy? He also did well, Donnie Brasco for what he's, I mean, he's a very established director. I still hate him.
Anyway, Tyler, what have you watched recently? <laughs> well, I too went on a little bender, and that bender is watching as many 2016 movies as I can while also being a reasonable adult and trying to accomplish different podcasts and life tasks. Most of the movies I've watched recently are from 2016, and I actually feel a little disconcerted as I look at my letterbox and see 2016 almost all the way down. But it's got, it's allowed me to catch up on certain things. I could talk about a little mini marathon I did with animation. You know, I watched Secret Life of Pets. Okay. I watched Finding Dory. Good. Still unnecessary, but about as good as an unnecessary movie can be. Uh, Zootopia, you know, which is good. And Kubo and the Two Strings, which got a little teary up in here. <laughs> but... I want to talk about The Edge of Seventeen, which I saw recently. The Edge of Seventeen came out recently. It's a Haley Steinfeld vehicle that also has a uh, a turn by Woody Harrelson as an aged mentor of a, a snarky young brunette. Uh, it's the first, I believe, the first film from Kelly Freeman Craig, and it came out to middling to not great box office numbers, but surprise critical acclaim and that's because this is a really really great high school movie there's a lot to be said about it Haley steinfeld's performance is really good probably my favorite thing about the movie is that the edge of 17 is very empathetic towards its main character and all the other people around her but also does not give her a pass on some of the bullshit that she comes up with even if it comes from a very reasonable place, because she is having a hard time, she is dealing with normal high school angst and grief and being an outsider. This seems to be a theme of many of the movies I love this year, is the empathy that many of them portray. And this just does a really good job of appreciating its characters and showing them in a light that feels true and honest and... I don't know, it, it, it elicits real emotions. and See, I haven't seen this movie, so I'm going to have to watch it to determine if it is actually about what it's like to be an almost 17-year-old girl. But, uh, yeah, no, I can't... I am hearing a lot of good things about it, so I am excited to see it, but... Well, I will say, I don't know that it's what it's like to be a normal 17-year-old girl, as uh, I, I was never a 17-year-old girl, <laughs> normal or otherwise, but... Many of the uh, emotions that the character that uh, Haley Steinfeld's character goes through in that movie, and many of the things she deals with, do feel very true. And the way that people react to them, and the way that she doesn't just get away with everything, and nothing is swept under the rug. Even I don't know. It it, it holds it's it holds its characters accountable without actually wagging a finger or learning a lesson in the end that I, sh I should have just been different the whole time anyways or everyone else should just appreciate me the whole time there's a real meeting in the middle between the characters and i really appreciated that even if a certain character gets largely excised from the movie after serving a very large role early on and the movie does suffer for that but but overall, it's a really solid movie about being an outsider and dealing with that angst and growing up and learning to come to terms with things and appreciating the people that are out around you, outside of you, and not just viewing them through your own lens. If it's like half as poignant as Perks of Being a Wallflower, I can be satisfied with that. It has been compared to Perks quite a bit. I, literally nothing in this entire world has made me sob like a baby in a movie theater like perks of being a wallflower so <laughs> <laughs> but yeah it, personal it, sharing time <laughs> let the right but, folks in what was that a thing you watched this week <laughs> well i <laughs> all right and the other movie i watched outside of the uh, little animation domination thing i did uh is animation domination i know that's not uh, oh my god I, I we should make, we should make that a corner give me like a corner of the podcast animation domination there's so many corners <laughs> Anyways, I watched <laughs> I watched Wiener Dog, the Todd Salons movie from this year. Uh, it's my first Todd Salons movie, though I have heard of his work and how blistering and dark it can be. And Wiener Dog definitely gets into that. It's a four-part story about a wiener dog coming into different people's lives, and those lives usually involve 
death or loss of some kind and characters coming to terms with it and dealing with it. It doesn't totally hold together, but it is... I can't even call it enjoyable, but it it definitely deserves more than the one and a half stars it has on Amazon right now. Though I'm not <laughs> surprised people had that reaction to it. It includes uh, several great performances by Danny DeVito as a sad sack, Greta Gerwig as a awkward mid twenties as, as a Greta Gerwig. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Greta Gerwig as a Greta Gerwig. Though you know there are different shades of Greta Gerwig. There's Mistress America Greta Gerwig, and then there's Wiener Dog Greta Gerwig was much more low-key and i'm I haven't sure seen of either of those movies so mistress america is great it, it's a fascinating little movie and i'm not surprised it didn't click with people but i am glad that it's on amazon prime for people to dig into it's definitely one of those that does not hand you on a nice platter what its thesis is but you get these little meditations on death in different ways that and to varying degrees turn out pretty poignant. I'm glad I watched it. And also, uh, the intermission might be the best part of the movie. Is that where the little dog just walks around? Yep. <laughs> I saw, like, a chunk of this while you were watching it. And it looked maybe okay. But I, I'm i going to take your word for it that it's not up my alley. <laughs> <laughs> it is. If you like Todd Salon's films, you like it. From what I've heard. But uh, the, the, the intermission taking place between you know the first two stories and the next two stories is the wiener dog just kind of traversing maps and the ballad of wiener dog plays over it and it's great i just gotta say the fact that it's not up for not a front runner for original song (laughs) it's really a crime (laughs) whatever if lily collins can get a golden globe nomination i feel like wiener dog could get a song nomination Unfortunately, Todd Salons does not have the pull in Hollywood that Warren Beatty does. I think it was more Phil Collins' money <laughs> than Warren Beatty's pull, but... I know. What? <laughs> what? Uh, yeah, it's just like one of the worst doing movies of all time, and just happens to get a Golden Globe for it. It just happens to be Phil Collins' daughters. It's, it's interesting. It's well, the Golden Globes are all about getting people in the room and if nominating uh lily collins gets both phil collins and warren Beatty in the room <laughs> it might have been a motivation let's be real the golden globes are a joke even if most of their <laughs> nominations are pretty decent this year so it's fine it's fine it's a whole other discussion <laughs> the edge of 17 is great wiener dog is good harry potter is fun harry potter is fun Jurassic World is bad. It's so bad. <laughs> Jurassic World 2 is going to be very political, Shh, Jay, nope, by nope, all the nope, sense. Nope, 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 What? <laughs> no. Okay, no. We don't have time to talk about that. <laughs> I can't get into Did that. Did we watch something this movie? What's this podcast about again? <laughs> Seeing like, a round little guy and maybe some glowing <laughs> sticks smashing into each other and going... <laughs> How great would it be if we just did an entire podcast where we badly describe Star Wars and piss people off? <laughs> like, <laughs> So, like, they ter- get on this garbage ship, and it's safe- shaped like a Frisbee, like except, a- <laughs> like, with a nose on it or There's something. There's, like, a fuzzy dude and some fucking asshole who acts like he doesn't want to be there. Yeah, and everyone could understand the fuzzy dude for some reason. <laughs> I gotta tell you, I don't, I don't buy it. Those noises sound <laughs> basically the same every time. It's... Anyway, uh, like like I said, uh, this week we are talking about Star Wars: The Force Awakens. There are stories about what happened. It's true.
Star Wars The Force Awakens is the seventh feature film in the ongoing Star Wars saga. The first film since George Lucas sold the rights to the universe to the Disney company for <laughs> George Lucas sold the rights the to the universe? To the universe, yes. <laughs> it turns out he owned us all. The movie did okay upon release. It made... Uh, all the money. $900 million in the U.S. And then another $1.1 billion abroad for $2 billion total and some change, which... That sure is money. <laughs> I guess that's all right. And you know what? I think it sold some toys, too. I think it sold a few toys. The movie was directed by J.J. Abrams, uh, traitor to the Star Trek franchise, <laughs> and starred... John Boyega, Daisy Ridley, Adam Driver, Oscar Isaac, Andy Serkis, Donald Gleason, Max von Sydow for two seconds, uh, Harrison Ford, Carrie Fisher, Mark Hamill. It didn't really star Mark Hamill, but okay. Warwick Davis, Lupita Nyong'o. Anyway. Academy Award winner, Lupita Nyong'o. Yes. Thank you. No, no. That's mm. true. That's true. It was nominated for five Oscars, basically all visual effects. Editing, visual effects, sound, sound editing, and original score. Because if John Williams makes a score, you can't not nominate him. It's a law. Basically. Uh, so, yes, this is the movie. Uh, I imagine most of our listeners have heard of this movie. And maybe a couple have caught the movie. What do you think, Kayla? Mm, judging from my time hop on Twitter for this time last year... Yes, I would say that many people that we know saw this movie. Um, yeah. <laughs> do you think that's do you think that's Disney's goal is really for Time Hop forever and to eternity to be dominated by Star Wars forever? It's a great Christmas marketing ploy yeah. to have Christmas and Star Wars be forever entwined. Mm -hmm. So good for them in that regard. <laughs> Christmas, a Star Wars story. There is a Star Wars Christmas special. They don't want to talk. They don't want. They, they want. Actually, that's what this is all about. The reason that all the oh Star God, Wars come out on Christmas is so that we all forget that that Christmas special ever happened. Oh my God, we figured it out. Oh, man. That was actually that's that was good. actually in George Lucas's contract when he sold it. Four billion dollars is nice, but if you can get rid of that, that would be. The only person I know right now who is a super intense Star Wars fan is Jacob Tender, and I will have to ask his opinion on that, because there, I think there's something to that theory. But yeah, I don't know. Uh, we, Why are we avoiding talking about this movie, Kayla? Do we hate this movie? No. We hate this movie. Actually, Okay, so funny. Actually, Tyler and I saw this in theaters together last year on Christmas Eve. We found the one theater in the entire world that no one wanted to go to to see Star Wars on Christmas Eve and managed to get tickets and popcorn. And it was awesome. Very notably, uh, in past episodes, probably of this podcast, I, I'm pretty sure this is on record. I am not a Star Wars fan at all. I don't really like any of the original trilogy. I definitely don't like any of the prequel trilogy. However, Within, uh, like, six minutes of this movie being on, I literally sold my entire ass to Star Wars. So, <laughs> I am on the hype train. <laughs> I am not proud of my complete reverse in stance on this. But you watch this movie and try not to be completely enchanted and filled with joy and wonder. Like, I, I dare you. It's not possible. There's a fuck. There's a little rolling beepy dude going through the sand and talking to a beautiful British street urchin. Like, what else do you want? Also, Oscar Isaac. <laughs> also, Oscar Isaac is there. So, like, really, literally, truly, what else could you want from a movie? I so guess yeah. that's it. Okay. <laughs> that's the whole podcast. Uh, Tyler, what was your first? Uh, you saw it before I did in theaters, and then we went again and watched it together. So I guess what was your like initial reaction? Did you sell your entire ass I, to I Star Wars? I don't remember that, honestly. <laughs> I don't remember that I did that. You did. Um, so 
<laughs> I absolutely hate everything that Star Wars stands for and everything is... No, I do not dislike Star Wars in the way that Kayla does, but I do not have the reverence for it of many of the universe, really. Um, I, I enjoyed the universe that they created, but I was never super attached to Luke and his dad and his daddy issues <laughs> and Han Solo. I don't know. It's, you know, I just... I enjoyed them, but I was too busy watching Jurassic Park over and over again. Mm -hmm. I do want to clarify that maybe some of my irrational dislike for Star Wars does come from the fact that I dated like a super shitty dude who was completely obsessed with Star Wars, like to the point where he was, he would spend like hours explaining extended universe fan fiction bullshit to me. And I just did not have time for that in my life. Anyway, sorry, continue. (laughs) I just want to clarify because somebody's probably going to be really mad at me for not liking Star Wars, so... You don't have to excuse yourself. You've perfectly justified it now. There are are (laughs) plenty of people who do stand very strongly on anti-Star Wars stances. But with this Star Wars, I think, especially upon rewatching now, many moons later, I think what really works for me about this Star Wars is that it has some truly delightful new characters. So much so that I am reminded every time I watch it how much I really just want to hang out with ray and finn and poe and i I, I don't really care about leon han like it's like it has some emotional moments that that really work but i'm not super invested in it i'm literally gonna get bb8 tattooed on my face so (laughs) bb8 yeah i'm in love with him (laughs) he's so perfect but it has delightful new characters who are a blast to spend time with even if some of the lines they're spouting are very clunky and expositional. And I, you, you can see the writers working there. It's, even if they're so lucky that it's beyond the normal amount of happy coincidences that heroes in movies come across. And it's just like, oh, man, this, this just makes no sense. You know, not script holes, but like an absurd amount of script convenience. I mean, Star Wars movies are like by nature inconsistent in my opinion yeah. especially as far as like plot and character development goes that's my main gripe with the original series is i no. feel like the characters are flat and i don't understand why you should care about them which does not happen in this movie <laughs> but that's what made that's why despite all of my misgivings i really love this because of how great the characters are which i've said like three times now but also the dialogue is really enjoyable they the the there is incredible banter in this, and I will giggle every time that Chewie grabs Finn. He's tried to kill me six times already, which is fine. <laughs> there, there, there it is. That's what it My is. big one is the garbage will do. That's not how the Force works. <laughs> also good. But then, but then soon after that, you get as long as there's light, we have a chance. That's not even a hammer. That's a sledgehammer. There are so many great things that happen in this movie besides just quotes and whatever. There are so many interesting things in the background. For instance, one of my favorite things that I just noticed this time when we were watching it is when Ray is descending into the cellar to follow her vision or whatever. BB-8 is behind her just slowly clunking his way down each stair (laughs) and i'm kind of glad i didn't notice it the first time because it might have ruined the scene just a little bit because it is it's so funny like it's one of like i i loved it so much once i realized what was happening he's just so pure and round and good all i can think of every time i see bb8 is that post on tumblr that's explaining uh shape psychology and how triangle is enemy circle is friend and then somebody was just like bb8 is definitely friend <laughs> <laughs> and that gets at something else for all of my misgivings about certain plot things that might seem a little brushed over not very specific there is so much specificity and effort put into so many of the characters and designs and environments, especially early on when we're first meeting Ray and we have this vast desert and we have the the abandoned war machines basically that are just that really add a ton of character and do a lot of the story like do a lot of the heavy lifting and the storytelling just by being there. The environments just seem so real, whether there's, you know, spaceships crashing into dirt, 
or you know chasms opening up in the snow they did a real like they didn't cut corners on any on any of those things that it might be easy to cut corners on they put a lot of love and work into those environments and they're really fun to be in plus i think they finally did what a lot of modern films fail to do which is successfully merge the practical effects with the cgi effects Mm -hmm. uh one of my big big issues with a lot of the blockbusters that we've seen in the past year or two is that one this like the use of cgi is so overwhelming and like muddy looking i know i know i've said that a bunch of times but it just it really like like in my brain i know that it is unlikely that there's going to be c like I, i know that there are some cgi that is lifelike and whatnot but when you have giant like aliens and stuff we're just not to the point where we can make that look real and they subjected us to independence day resurgence we get at least five free passes uh, on calling cgi money it's like and I, I don't like being that person because i really do think that cgi has its place and that it has been a really valuable tool in filmmaking um but I mean, there's it's just really well done in star wars yeah there's just there are just some things that you can't like there are just some things that even like w- like when we went on our little 80s movie marathon it was like there were definitely some movies where i kept thinking this honestly looks better than a lot of the major blockbusters that i'm seeing right now just and it's just a it's a fucking puppet <laughs> or it's a stop motion like when we watched terminator when they had this stop motion terminator i had to tell ben that it was stop motion it's just like i don't know so i, I really think that where the prequel series failed and made everything like so shiny and weird and uncanny valley (laughs) this one really pulled it back used cgi in the places where it matters most like scenery and space (laughs) and less so with characters i I will say some things that gave me made me reminisce kind of fondly about the star wars movies that i didn't adore like others as a kid um was when they had some of the clunkier practical aliens and monsters like i'm pretty sure the guy that captures bb-8 in the beginning just the way he's lumbering away on his monster i just it's kind of awkward but in that way that practical effects often could be awkward in bat like in older movies that I watch. And I, I don't know. I kind of appreciate that. I like that. I like when it isn't seamless. I like when it seems a little. I don't know. I like when you. Sometimes seeing the strings isn't a bad thing. And Well and it's also. I mean Star Wars place in history. Is as like the modern. Revolutionary. Technological advancement. Or whatever. That's That's the thing that I care most. About the original Star Wars trilogies. Because. Honestly, in the original series, the most important and exciting thing about them to me and probably to many others is the fact that none of that stuff had been done before or had been done on such a scale. And I think that is something that Lucas really let get away from him in the prequel series because the best thing that you can do with effects in movies is to use your creativity to make them believable and when you just have a bunch of people like kind of badly rendering stuff on a computer like there obviously there's a lot of great work to be done with that but when you yourself are known as like the master innovator use that every studio uses industrial light and magic every studio goes through lucasfilm for their special effects and there's a reason for that and it's good to see them kind of come back and i guess take the crown for that for their own franchise everything's thought out and has a purpose and it feels finished not just tossed on um it feels complete and thought out in many ways and it where in the prequels it often felt like george lucas was was like oh my god we bought a computer trying different stuff and not in an interesting way yeah Uh, not in a way that was necessarily fun in a way that felt kind of tossed together at times yeah, so and, very um, glommed on yeah and again not to get too much because I, I really don't want to be a part of that debate on um, practical effects versus whatever but they both have their place exactly 
Star Wars does a good job with it. Hooray. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, uh, another thing, the music cues are obviously incredible. It's John Williams. There's no way around that. <laughs> like, I just, I don't know. This is one of those episodes where it's definitely just like, ah, we love this movie. Well, but <laughs> I will say I'm cool with it for most of it. But at a certain point, it is so new hope that it's very distracting. They destroy, I mean, it's a solar system or like it's a system instead of a planet, but they build a giant circle death star no 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 it's bigger than a death not star. a death star not a death star <laughs> super not a death star it's it's really big <laughs> and our heroes gotta infiltrate it and uh fly into it listen and if destroy it ain't it from the inside if it ain't broke don't then, fix it <laughs> yeah i just i it, like it was very much the greatest hits and yeah you know if the cast had been even a fraction less talented, I feel like it would have gone not nearly as well. No. Obviously, that was pointed out basically from when the movie was first released, how much like A New Hope it is. But there are so many other things that work really well that the fact that it's kind also, of Also, y'all have been paying to see redux. basically the same movie, just in different forms, for like all of Hollywood's existence. That's how Hollywood works. I just, it's not that big of a deal. Honestly, it, if the movie is good and entertaining, that's, it did its job. This does feel very much feel like certain origin movies where it's like, all right, we got a lot of that stuff out of the way. Uh, we, I mean, we literally killed off one of the mm-hmm. things that was holding us down. So we now we can bring on Ryan Johnson and have our characters all set up and delightful uh, and actually, then we just move forward. All right, that I literally cannot even believe that ryan johnson is directing star wars episode eight i am so geeked on that ryan johnson is my favorite director the brothers bloom is my favorite movie of all time like literally of all time and it is so exciting (laughs) to have your favorite director doing something so hugely monumental and i just i cannot wait to see what he is doing and what he's up to i just want to like live inside of his head every moment (laughs) and know what's going on and i really hope that we get like some of that just uh, some of like the stylistic flair that he has added to star wars is just like unimaginable to me (laughs) i'm so excited do you want to talk about when we discovered that Karina Longworth and Ryan Johnson were dating? <laughs> oh my god, that weird? was the funniest thing ever. Uh, you must remember this is my probably favorite podcast ever. Episode of this one. <laughs> Ryan Johnson's my favorite director. And I, I was reading an interview with Karina Longworth. And she was like, oh yeah, my boyfriend Ryan Johnson. And I immediately furiously was like, Tyler! <laughs> how could you not tell me this? And he was like, which I, I said, I thought you knew. Which I did not. But uh, hey, that is a power couple that if they want to adopt me as their fully adult, <laughs> almost 25-year-old daughter, oh my God. I will accept you as my parents, and I will learn everything at your feet. <laughs> it's also nice, as much as I love Ryan Johnson's original movies, and I look forward to him creating another original movie, you're handing him Ray and Poe and Finn, and also the greatest budget to ever be seen by mankind (laughs) (laughs) listen to me okay the brothers bloom is literally a heist movie about two brothers trying to con rachel weiss and like i just i i would love to see i I know this isn't gonna happen because there's not like a fandom for it but just fan art of poe and finn dressed up as mark ruffalo and adrian brody's characters and uh, Ray as Rachel Weiss. I just, I oh my god, I just if if it has even the cal like half of the whimsy that that movie has, it will be a perfect film. So <sighs> that's it a seems different... like a good point to end now. Oh wait, there's like a Star Wars story coming up this week. Um, yes, is that the Ryan Johnson one? I wish <laughs> Rogue One, which you know could not be directed by a woman because you can't just let women do things. I've been saying that for years. <laughs> I can't remember exactly who it was, but I read an interview where they were like, you know, we don't want to just give a franchise like Star Wars to an inexperienced person. And I'm like, it was literally started by an inexperienced person. And also, just look at every other franchise film that's been handed to a noob ass indie director because he did a good job for two seconds. Most feature films now. Yeah. Uh, Gareth Edwards did Godzilla and Monsters. But the Jurassic also, World also, 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 can't find any experienced woman directors. I just, just, 
just I just I, it just seems unlikely. Let Jane Campion just, do a Star Wars movie. <laughs> dude, I don't think Jane Campion wants to do a Star Wars movie, <laughs> but I would absolutely watch Jane. Oh my god, can you imagine how fucking mad people would be? Oh god, or a Kelly Riker Star Wars movie. It would just take it would be like just on Jakku. Just people trying to survive on Jakku and living their lives and just kind of the small and Ava and Ava DuVernay, Star Wars movie. That see that would that would be awesome and <laughs> I think people would love that and hey I think we found our next uh yeah so anyway if you want to pay me for that idea I will literally <sighs> compile a list of women who could direct a Star Wars movie. I, I gotta be honest I think that's a list already. Well you could pay me for it anyway because I'm poor. <laughs> but anyway, uh yes, despite that Direct, uh, uh, Rogue One, which is getting good reviews so far and will probably come out the day after this drops. So <laughs> this is really good that I'm just like hammering the time that this comes out. But it's directed by Gareth Edwards and beefed up by Tony Scott, starring several great actors, and it is also, you know, propaganda for women and people of color, so that's pretty <laughs> Did cool. you know that this is the first Star Wars movie to talk about wars? Star Wars is about wars. Who would have known? You know, maybe Vox.com would have paid you to make that article, but now you threw shade at them. <laughs> they already made that article. No, like your, your previous article. Oh, whatever. I just, <laughs> listen. <laughs> The takes must be made, Kayla. <laughs> Even if they're lukewarm, the takes must be had. <laughs> Premium internet content. <laughs> <laughs> but I am looking forward to seeing that. Ben Mendelsohn as like a sneering imperial bad guy. Diego Luna. Felicity Jones. Listen, for all of my hemming and hawing here, I literally just told you like 20 minutes ago that I sold my entire ass to Star Wars. So, yes, we'll be going to see Rogue One. And it will probably blow my face off. <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> but yeah, uh, that seems like a good place to wrap up. <laughs> I don't know. Is it? I don't know. I guess, yeah. Kayla, uh, uh, hmm. we didn't even mention Mads Mikkelsen. Is Mads that... Mikkelsen is in Rogue One. Oh, okay, right, okay. I was like, what does that have to do with The Force Awakens? I was thinking of Doctor Strange. Okay, we have to mention Mads Mikkelsen anytime he's in anything, okay? I just... Including Doctor Strange, which I saw. Which I talked about. On the podcast. Do you want to talk about that again now? Want to get <laughs> Doctor Strange too, though? No, <laughs> they're both Disney properties because Disney owns every movie. You know, apparently, uh, shoot, I was in. It, apparently, it, Disney owns every movie. Yes. In the seven hundred trivia that I was reading, there were so many pointless trivia that I forgot who. But apparently, they were considering Benedict Cumberbatch for a role in Star Wars, and I'm glad because like that didn't happen because like I can handle Benedict Cumberbatch in doses. But I don't need his lizard face in every single film franchise. Because he is a lizard person. This is why they were considering, like, uh, do you say Jennifer Lawrence and... Oh my god, Jennifer Lawrence and Shailene Woodley for yeah. Ray. That's like my nightmare duo. <laughs> there are no people. They already have their own franchises aimed at, like, young adults and families. Hunger Games, great family movie. <laughs> Listen. Uh, it's just like, I, that's one of my, like... Just Hollywood, there there are many deserving actors and actresses out there. If there are two there, actresses don't... that I could just pay... No, I don't even want to give them money. If I could just get them to somehow never speak again. If I could trade something of my own to make that happen, I would do it. <laughs> really going in. Oh, I dislike them. <laughs> but yes. So uh, anyway, that is not the trivia we're going to talk about this week as we are now progressing into... Are we? Are we transitioning? Trivia. Yeah. <laughs> was that a segue? That's what we're doing, yes. The okay. whole, those, those... Too bad it's recommendations first. Fuck! <laughs> <laughs>
All right, fine. We'll do a complete about face, despite my flawless <laughs> transition. <laughs> and we'll go to recommendations. Tyler, uh, what is it that you are recommending? We talked about how much we like those leads. And I was thinking about going over the future roles that uh, Daisy Ridley and John Boyega have gotten, partially, I mean, maybe much due to their uh, appearance in a certain mega blockbuster that we just discussed. But I'm going to go back a bit, uh, just to remind people, I think I've done this before, but we're going to do it again. John Boyega started this <laughs> awesome, awesome British sci-fi movie where he and his gang of friends fought off aliens to protect their block, and it's really good. And um, I've been waiting, I'd been waiting for years for John Boyega to get the role that he so deserved, and he finally did. <laughs> it's true there was nothing that could stop the radiance of tyler being the most excited it's like I, I just they announced that john boyega was gonna be one of the stars of star wars and i was like i'm all about that thank you finally took you long enough <laughs> i would also be in the next pacific rim that i'm not really interested in seeing because, as always i am the voice of descent on pacific rim on this podcast you had to i was going to recommend Pacific okay we'll Rim. cut that out then cut that out no it's fine no it's fine <laughs> you can leave in your ultimate betrayal as always and uh anyway the movie that i was gonna recommend was Pacific Rim, <laughs> which i love and tyler's opinion is wrong about i love it just elbow in it uh yeah well i, mean, I was trying to, I, I was trying to think of like a movie to recommend that is sort of similar in tone that is still kind of spacey so, if you haven't seen Pacific Rim, it's the giant robots fighting aliens movie. I can't believe you didn't recommend Jupiter Ascending. Mmm. Damn. That is a good one, and I wish I had thought have of it. Have we already done that one, too? I may have rec- I I honestly can't remember. I've, I never miss a chance to recommend Jupiter Ascending you, to people, so I feel like definitely it has been. So, you could recommend the trailer for Valerian that I was just it's, making. It's, it's, Alright, here's the thing. Well, Pacific Rim is a really good movie um it's fun it has the unfortunate uh, aspect that it sounds super dumb when you describe it to people but i promise you it's really fun it also has a loaf of white bread starring in it look charlie hunnam is doing his best rinko gucci is in it and she is perfect she is good she is also in the brothers bloom my favorite movie of all time oh as we have just discussed (laughs) um the soundtrack is epic and incredible it will make you feel like you could do anything and it's just a great story about human triumph. And also, I guess, double points. I can't remember if I've recommended Jupiter Ascending, but if you want to watch something that is completely batshit crazy and like your fifth grade sci-fi fan fiction of Star Wars and some other shit came to life, Jupiter Ascending is your movie. People are unnecessarily down on it, and I think it's because we have been trained to only accept super serious, gritty movies or like snarky Marvel Disney property, half comedy, half drama things. And apparently not everyone loves dogs. They haven't always loved dogs. How dare you? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, if you're going to watch Jupiter sending like have some drinks first, it'll, it'll make it enjoyable. But yeah. So now... Without the aid of a flawless transition, <laughs> the trivia this week. So apparently, initially, Poe Dameron's character was actually supposed to die right away in that scene where he gets sucked into a sandpit. J.J. Abrams is all about that, apparently. Changing his mind about his lead character dying partway through the uh, initial episode. <sighs> episode. It's even an episode, so it works. Episode of a long-going series. Listen, I am just now starting to kind of a little bit maybe trust J.J. Abrams with things, despite my long-standing distrust. And you didn't even finish Lost because I hate and distrust J.J. Abrams, and the direction of the show was not going well, <laughs> which even you must admit to, having watched the whole thing. <laughs> I admit nothing. <laughs> But yeah, so he was going to die, and then he was like, eh, yeah, This Oscar Isaac guy, he's kind of beautiful, and I want to see his face all, more. How dare you even begin to waste Oscar Isaac in such a way when he has already been thoroughly disrespected this that year by X-Men Apocalypse? Does explain how he somehow survives and loses his jacket, but like, it's fine. 
Whatever. I'm just glad he survived, yeah. giving rise to a great Star Wars gay ship that if they do not pursue, I will protest heavily. And Will you? Yes. Will you? Yes. You're just going to not see any Star Wars movies I would, well, if okay. they don't make out. I mean, I didn't say that. Okay. How, how are, I'm just curious how you're going to protest. Well, this. I was going to say I was going to light the studio on fire, but I feel like it's a bad idea to threaten Disney on a podcast because that was a joke and I don't actually mean that. And they're scary. Disney's lawyers are very thorough. <laughs> so, yeah, um, I would. I'm just saying the chemistry is there and John Boyega and Oscar Isaac are both super into it, as is as are everyone else in the universe it is as is everyone as else. is everyone else in the universe like i said <laughs> that's exactly what you said so tyler uh the stat of this week so the stat of this week is more of a uh more of a get out the vote call if you will currently there are three movies from 2016 on the imdb's top 250 movies they are uh, zootopia's hanging on there in the low 200s Arrival's got a pretty solid spot at 100 right now. They'll probably go give and take there for a while, and it's very deserving. That'll come up on our year-end extravaganza coming to you next week. And Hacksaw Ridge is at 92. What? Yep. <laughs> I know you've told me that, but it still hurts me. Uh, so know, listen. It's a war movie. It's Mel Gibson. It's very Braveheart. Yeah, very Braveheart. is what we as citizens all need to do. To ensure vote that... Vote for Moonlight. Just, just vote for Moonlight. God Moonlight should it. be on there. I was going to make a joke about Civil War, but you're right. That is more important. Make Moonlight on the list. The Civil War already fell off. I know. That's what I was going to say. It was on there long enough for us to do an episode. I was going to so. say that we should get it back on there, but I will, I will concede the Chris Evans corner to Moonlight being way more important and definitely more important than Hacksaw fucking Ridge. <laughs> So yes, like there there are other lists, there are other movies I would love to have on there, but I I just know like Krisha and the Fitz are never ever in their existence going to get enough votes <laughs> to get on the two fifty. But Moonlight, we can do it. This is you true. can help. <laughs> I think I just violated a copyright. So yeah, uh, that about wraps up this episode. You can find us on Twitter at twitter.com slash ltrfipod. That is the best and most interactive way to get a hold of us. If you need to talk to us for longer than 140 characters, you can always email us. The email is ltrfipod at gmail.com. If you want to be on an episode or have suggestions or whatever, send them there. That is the best place for that. We have a Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash letthewritefilmsin. And a Tumblr page where Tyler is yet again still in the process of becoming Tumblr famous from his Moonlight gift set. I, I honestly, I, I think our Tumblr is just Moonlight gifts now. <laughs> it is letthewritefilmsin.tumblr.com. And on a slight aside from that, I do want to mention uh, every gift that Tyler makes for our podcast comes from a trailer of the movie. It does not come from the actual movie itself. We do not have access to movies early nor will we help you find them to illegally download. I'm sorry. But I did want to clear that up. Uh, it's all from the trailers. So anything you see on our Tumblr, you can see just by watching the trailers of the movies that you are interested in. So, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Furthermore, we have a newsletter, which you can sign up for at tinyletter.com slash LTRFI. Tyler is mostly in charge of that, and I contribute to it sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> with pod to it more podcast recommendations and whatnot and yeah uh we also guess, subscribe on itunes soundcloud yes, that was, might be the most important I was, part i was getting to it thank you <laughs> uh yes itunes again if you leave us a review i will read it on air even if it is a mean review i might make fun of you if it's mean though no holds barred we're also on stitcher google play yeah i, I do this every week i know how to do it <laughs> i haven't talked for a while <laughs> Uh, we are both now happy users of the podcast app Pocket Casts, and I really can't recommend it enough. It's super cute, and I love it. Uh, yeah, so those are all the places you can listen, and that is that. That yeah. wraps it up. So yeah, uh, as we said earlier, Jurassic World is a terrible movie and always will be. The gay subtext of Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer <laughs> is an article on the internet that you can look up now. <laughs>
That is a way to end the podcast. Thank you, Tyler. Thanks for listening. <laughs>